Welcome to the Wedge Gallery Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Tyler Martinez. Today, we're speaking with Elena Manfredini. Elena is principal of Atelier Manfredini. She has 20 years of professional experience in architecture, public art, design, and education. She currently teaches at the Southern California Institute of Architecture, SciArc, where she serves as the graduate programs chair. In today's conversation, Elena and I talk about architects working in multiple scales, her time as a student at UCLA, design education during COVID, and discuss her recent work. Um, so first of all, I wanted to congratulate you on the Judith Ripka collection. It's beautiful work. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, it was a one-off um, collaboration, or it started like that. Uh, Judith Ripka wanted to uh, have a new line, and they asked an architect to design it. And I think I'm one of the first um, collaborations and they're planning to do more uh, with other uh, female architects actually um, and so it, it started in April uh, when we actually went to the pandemic this was the first project in the pandemic and it was launched um, just before Christmas for the holidays uh, the collection is um, a ring uh, earrings a necklace and a cuff and so it's a complete uh, collection. And actually, um, now we are going to go and work on a new collection, this time for objects for the house. So uh, they're thinking about expanding the typology of uh, their production. So not just focusing on jewelry, which clearly is the main focus of the company, but also thinking that with jewelry, they could uh, produce also other items for the house and those become complementary to the jewelry in their stores um, because they're opening new stores in the United States. And I, I know product design has been a part of your practice for quite some time. I think I'm uh, Nike probably is the, the first time you had an opportunity to work on maybe a product. Um, and it seems like that's something that's, that's always happening in your, your practice. Is that, has that been the case throughout your career? Yeah, I think I've had many um, journeys uh, into different kind of uh, fields. Uh, I would say that architects design in multiple scales in general, and um, I'm not the only example of an architect that does that. I think you look around and you see that many architects are creative in many design fields and many scales. I have collaborated with Nike, and probably my first, first project was with Alessi, my first industrial design project with, with Alessi as an Italian company uh, in Italy that has made of the collaboration between architects and their company uh, a signature. So the, the idea that architects can actually design objects for the house along with the house, maybe that goes with it. Um, and also Nike and many other companies really afterwards, uh, car companies, um, fashion houses um, and jewelry design. And I think the reason behind it is that um, nowadays, I think architects have a very um, wide education. Uh, we also use as designers very similar platforms uh, in terms of digital tools, which allowed uh, our um, professional practice to really expand to different fields of, of design and creativity. So I think architects have been in general um, understood as a generalist um, education and probably the design, the digital design turn helped them to manifest it um, because now we're able to design different skills through similar tools. Um, things are produced not necessarily through 
uh, manual craftsmanship anymore. And so between the digital revolution and the industrial revolution and the um, truly those kind of expertise uh, become much more available, I think, to any creative person. And so I think it's quite normal for architects to uh, design and swap scales and swap materials and uh, collaborate with different companies. I also think it's, it's, it's incredible to work with creative fields that consider design as an asset. Uh, I think it's a very important um, aspect of doing industrial design, fashion, and other fields that design is truly what connects them all and they see design as an asset to connect to an audience. But I think also it might have to do with your your Italian background, right? I mean, I'm thinking of the, the Venice Biennale and how that's had such a, a large effect on the disciplines of, of creative practices. Um, I have a feeling though that maybe that your Italian upbringing and maybe your experience uh, uh, both as a, as a kind of interdisciplinary designer as an engineer, but also as a product designer, an architect, an artist. Do you think your Italian background influenced the way you work on problems? I think there is an understanding in Italy that the architect would and could design a different scale. I, I agree with you. I think it's part of the, as a long tradition from the Bauhaus on, and, and I think there is a long tradition of um, being creative um, in every possible field in Italy. And I think the architect is the one that uh, is the kind of education that one would go and get to be able to design and think and be creative in all the fields. So I, I do think that there is an expectation of that from the Renaissance on, <laughs> the idea that uh, one would go beyond the fields uh, designed um, by the commerce, let's say, I think is very uh, ingrained uh, in, in, in Italy. But I, but I have to say most, um, most architects actually that I know do that. Uh, I mean, you, you you look at the work of Zaha has been um, truly multidisciplinary at some point. Um, you can see Frank Gehry producing things uh, for Tiffany and, and very famous um, furniture production. So I think uh, the idea that design is not chained to a typology, I think, is something that um, many architects value as an outlet for creativity. Yeah, and I, I really admire uh, your work, Elena, and especially I, I admire the fact that you took the risk, I think, of, of leaving Italy and deciding to study at UCLA. Was that pretty clear to you that, that LA was the place to be at the time in which you were looking at architecture and design? Absolutely not. <laughs> I was very young and I was completely unaware of what I was going to do in the United States. Um, I left my country at 22 and I think... Um, I was not seeing this as a life-changing experience, meaning that I would have then stayed in the United States forever. Probably my mother would have never let me go <laughs> if she would have known this. I had. Um, what, what brought me to Los Angeles was a scholarship from the engineering department. So first of all, I thought I would study engineer. Um, I would finish my degree in engineering. Um, but I realized when I came to Los Angeles that um, the really good department at UCLA was not the engineering department, it was actually the architectural department, which I understood immediately when I landed. I, I think I spent a week in Los Angeles um, going to classes and I realized that First of all, that uh, after that was my fifth year of engineering, that I, I could not take undergraduate classes in engineering. It was to, to I already did them all, and it was I needed to go into the graduate program. 
which also was my first uh, major step to convince everybody that um, I could not take uh, undergraduate classes, but I needed to take graduate classes. And also I uh, looked at the roster with the people involved in the um, you know, in engineering and architecture, and I realized that architecture was offering uh, pretty incredible individuals that were teaching there at that point. Sylvia Levin was the chair. She became the chair in 96, and I started in 97, so I truly was her first recruit year. Um, and she brought incredible people to teach there. And even though I was very much unaware of anything coming from Italy, I realized that uh, what she was starting to do, um, just looking at the roster of the people teaching, was uh, was incredible. And so I made I, I carved my way into the architectural department. Um, so I think nothing was um, known when I left, um, but I knew that I wanted to make the most out of my experience in the United States. You know, when you come from Italy, it's, it's a long way uh, and it's a big risk, and it's a big challenge. And I had this one year scholarship and so I wanted to make the most out of it. Um, in reality, the scholarship then was renewed and I, then I finished my master in architecture. I also finished my engineering degree and you know the rest is history then i started working here but i don't think i was aware that los angeles was the place um i realized it only when i came here that that was the place it was my first time in the united states um, so it was the first time i touched i i i entered the united states i landed in, in los angeles and it was not an easy transition it was not a love at first sight for the city for sure i did not like los angeles um, but I did like um, the educational system. I realized how much more um, choices and exposure and hands-on experience I could get and also what kind of contact a faculty have with students. You have to understand that in Italy, um, we have a phenomenal education system that is free, but also you have a ratio between a faculty and student that the first year is one to 600. So you truly just see the instructor in a big hall and, uh, and you have trouble even seeing what he's writing, he or she, usually he, is writing on the blackboard. Um, and so it's, it is, I, I think I always started in great institutions from high school to um, university. But when I came to the United States, I realized how important it was to have a much more intimate setting with this, uh, especially in architecture, with these architects who were willing to share their uh, experience with, with me. And, and this is um, pretty specific, uh, a sense of mastery that you are an apprentice with an architect. I mean, my first professor in, in UCLA for uh, portfolio was Tom Main. <laughs> so just to say that uh, having Tom Main look through my portfolio and give me advice and, and give me assignments for portfolios, you know, it's something that is not very easy to come by um, in, in Italy. You would get maybe a, an incredibly encyclopedic knowledge. I learned how to study and I learned how to be an architect uh, in my engineering school in Italy. But then when it came to um, methodology of creativity um, and design. I think United States added a lot to what I knew. But I think it's also might have to do with, with timing as, as well. I mean, in, in 97, 98, that was probably around the first digital turn in, in architecture. So I think of like the paperless studio that was happening at Columbia. And I think there was some other kind of characters, Frank Gehry, Greg Lynn, who were working on the use of the computer. I mean, what was happening at, at UCLA when you were studying there? 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. I was extremely lucky in terms of timing because, as I said, Sylvia became the chair in 96. I started in 97. Um, Greg Lynn came to UCLA in 97 and he brought with him a lot of um, vision, I think, in terms of what digital stool could do. Frank Gehry was, um, and Randy Jefferson, actually, who was working for Frank Gehry at that point, was teaching at UCLA. He was coming, Frank was coming to reviews. Um, you know, there, there is a strong connection between Sylvia Levin and Greg Lane and, and, and also Frank Gehry. Uh, you could see that uh, those digital tools and fabrication tools were at work, uh, both theoretically and practically, meaning that they were truly explored in terms of what they could do in theory and also in practice. And UCLA was um, at the center of that conjunction because... Um, because they had both. In, in a way, Los Angeles offer both, offers um, this incredible connection with uh, practitioners, and then it also has these universities and, and institutes that uh, foster speculation. And so having those at the same time together was, was truly making a lot of sense for my education, and I think in general was the beginning of that way of thinking. And the school was promoting all of those synergies between practice and, and theory, which I thought was completely out of luck that I ended up at UCLA in many ways. I mean, when I apply, I apply to the UC system. You know, there was an exchange program between Italy and the UC system, and I, I could have ended in, in another university. It could have been to Irvine or, uh, you know, or Berkeley. I mean, it, it could have been any of those. Um, and so it was, I don't want to take merit for the fact that I ended to be the right person at the right place, but it ended up to be that way. And so you, you moved from Italy, you go to Los Angeles, uh, there's all these strange new things happening in architecture with these uh, wonderful characters. And then you graduate with a set of specialties and I guess start teaching at SciArc. And you've been there for uh, 20 years, I suppose, at, yeah, at this point. I, I actually worked in between teaching and school. I, I worked for Greg Lynn for over three years. And then I, um, and then I, I started teaching at SciArc, which uh, was also the right moment for that big change was a moment where the school was going through a, transi a transition that probably has, has happened before in terms of UCLA and they needed the kind of skills and knowledge and uh, way of thinking, I would say, that I could bring to the table. And um, at that point, um, the dean was um, Eric Moss, and he had uh, a lot of young practitioners, young architects that had a new vision about, uh, about what digital could do in architecture and he gave them gave us i think a platform to grow and change and also to challenge us i think he is a person that has always loved to be challenged and open to the discussion which i truly appreciate about him the fact that nothing is off the table in terms of the belief that he thinks of but he can still you know listen and understand and and discuss and um and see that there is a space for change um, and so he was um, instrumental with the undergraduate and graduate chair at that point, uh, Chris Ganek and uh, Ming Fang, to foster this big change, I think, that happened at SIRAC at that point. Um, I've been teaching uh, at SIRAC for, yeah, almost 20 years by now. I think it's 19 years. I started there when I was 29, I think, 28 or 29. Um, 
and I started teaching visual study classes and then I went to teach studios and then uh, I moved up to graduate program and then I became the graduate um, thesis coordinator. And finally, five years ago, I became um, the graduate chair of the school. Well, I mean, congratulations. I think it's uh, fantastic to hear, I think, the seriousness in which you're, you're taking both practice and, and teaching. I mean, one thing I find really fascinating is I was reading your recent log article. Um, I think you wrote it with uh, Christina Griggs, if that's correct. And you guys were talking a little bit about color, but also how color maybe is interacting with these new tools and techniques. And so I, I'm sure you have a, a, a position or an idea around how technology has changed over the 20 years. I mean, could you see uh, maybe the next evolution of technology in the in the discipline of of architecture this kind of post uh, ucla moment within the discipline i think we have gone through 25 years of evolutions and the times that i'm talking to you about the the end of the 90s are definitely gone and certain things have been digested and become the new normal um those times where the moments where the Walt Disney Concert Hall was being built, now the Walt Disney Concert Hall has been there for over um, 20 years. Um, and I think schools and my practice also, because I am part of um, an academic environment, has been moving um, quite quickly, actually, through all the different variation and changes of the everything digital. And I would say that in many ways, um, what was at that point um, a focus and a central part of the practice, I think, has become more of a modus operandi. And, but, but I do think that it is important to understand that all these tools, even though they become new normal and maybe the, the novelty of the tool uh, moves onto the novelty of the next tool. So, you know, you, you see that there's a cycle of, of things that change and, and those can be all theorized and helped. But also... I think it is important to understand that those tools are not coming without a philosophy of work. They're not neutral. And so I think the academia has, has this very important task, which is to understand the critical qualities of those tools. Uh, so while we use them, we're not just using them as new normal, but we understand what they bring with them um, culturally. Um, and, um, and I think that those essay that I wrote on color really tried to focus on that, the fact that um, actually social media, for instance, that was specifically on social media. Social media has changed the way we, should, we understand colors and has democratized colors in architecture and has made color a battleground, which I think has many aspects that go from, yes, being a device for effect or playfulness of composition, but they also go into gender race and all those things we are now uh, grappling with. And I think social media has been an important uh, component of the, uh, of this, you know, putting to the table the fact that the attractiveness of color comes also with a lot of discussion about politics and homophobia, etc. And so those art, that article tried to make, to make a link between culture, contemporary culture, and contemporary tools, uh, and things that as architects and artists we use for a long time, which is the idea of color, whether we like uh, our buildings to be colored or not. Um, and so I think in general, uh, one could map many shifts in technology in the past 25 years, and there are some larger, some smaller, uh, some more defined. But I think what is important is not that the tool has changed 
every other, you know, every two years or something new, two or three years. It's to understand the fact that those tools have to be um, critically looked at. And I think academia does that very well because not only students adopt them, not only faculty are interested in them, but they are able to understand them um, in terms of what they say about our culture and our changes. I also am reluctant to say that my practice is based on digital tools. I would say that any practice of architecture today is based on digital tools. I think this is how uh, as been the case for a while, I think. This 25 years have been a conquering um, march that I think um, has happened. And my sense is that that is not uh, the center of the work, but does have, I think, a central role in representation. Um, and a school like Slyark that is uh, very well known to be, uh, you know, for the intricate drawings, these fantastic models, the sense of representation and the, uh, the generative aspect of the representation, I think one cannot um, look at those tools without starting to change the workflow of those, uh, mixing things together, trying to uh, find an original way to uh, apply them. Yeah, maybe, maybe tools are, are kind of a, a secondary thing now happening i think maybe more it has to do with authorship right if you decide to pick a pencil or a marker you decide to use rhino or or uh, cinema 4d or something it really probably doesn't matter as much unless you're trying to get a, a certain uh let's say result out of the process i noticed i did notice online though you're you're teaching a, a workshop called playground which is very colorful <laughs> and and probably is dealing with a, a bunch of of tools and and techniques. Is this something with with Cyark or different different institutions? That's yeah, it's, it's it's a workshop that we are organizing uh, between Cyark and an agency um, outside of the school um, that has been. Um, working with prospective uh, students that want to come to Cyark. Um, it's a foundational class, um, and it talks about the relationship between color, uh, form, and composition. So it's uh, something that um, we understand as being foundational to, to the education of the architect and to the artist in general. The students um, in the class are from different backgrounds, um, many different creative fields, um, and they're all joined by the um, understanding that colors have uh, a relationship to you know, to culture, to gender, to rite of passage, race, um, there are cultural components to it. It's always difficult to pin down and it's subjective. And um, the, the workshop is mainly based on the idea that uh, colors are interactive so that there is a medium attached to the color. Uh, so it's not just, you can say color, you can say color on the screen, uh, color in paint, um, color and pigments. So there are, um, there are discussions about what the medium is in architecture in general and how that changes the perception of the color uh, in context, both in terms of what happens between different colors are together or how we perceive them as human beings and viewer. Um, it is a class based on the concept of subjectivity, um, the fact that color is different and does not exist per se. It's only in the eye of the beholder. So that's also an interesting component of, of, of the class to start understanding what audience does. 
uh, in architecture, which I think is um, something that usual um, that you know very often people don't think of when they create. Um, one creates for uh, a copy of themselves, um, but I think this class somehow tries to open up the door to the fact that actually the audience is the one that perceives um, the color, and therefore. Um, that subjectivity is much wider than the subjectivity of the author. Um, I, I am really curious, though, because it is on your, your website, the way it's, it's kind of presented, um, it seems pretty exciting that we were able to do these kind of online platforms. And obviously, it's probably because of the pandemic that's influencing this. I mean, do you think post-pandemic, these types of workshops and online interactions going to stay around within the design education community? I think this pandemic has changed at least our understanding of what we can do in terms of teaching and it connects us in a different way. Um, I think partially, yes. I don't think everything will go back exactly as it was before. It never is the case. I think we've learned that we can work remotely. We've learned that we can work differently. Um, and I think teaching and, and being a student has had that any in this roster for a long time. I think online teaching and online learning has happened for a long time. Um, but now we've been forced all to do it. <laughs> and so even the one that did not believe that that could po be possible uh, have been, you know, have had to go through it. Uh, and I think in a way faculty have had to change certain uh, way of teaching, modality of teaching, as well as the students' certain modality of learning. Um, with what happens with it? Well, usually you leave something behind and you gain something new. Um, and I have to say um, that we've learned also our capability in terms of education, like how uh, effective are you in teaching when you're not in person? It's something, it's a skill that one has to um, learn, I think. Um, I do believe that some of these opportunities will still be there as they were there also before the pandemic. I mean, there are incredible online platform for online teaching um, that have been there for a long time. And they, I think, offered um, aid to the students and even to the faculty. I mean, I am one that um, often looks online for tutorials and videos and things I need to learn. And um, being able to share and consume knowledge, you know, I, I, I find this very enriching. And uh, it's also a way to keep up to date with my skills or my knowledge of the skills or um, the new things. So it's, I think, is a very important component. I do think that online platforms have um, changed the way we interact, but they also need to change themselves. I I think there is, we learned the limitation of these platforms and I think there is now a race to make those much more, um, uh, much more interesting, much deeper, uh, much more complex, which I think now is not the case. It's basically, uh, it's, quite, it's quite crude what we can use right now. So I, I would imagine the technology will develop this. Uh, because there is a clear need right now. But I would say that there could be also a, a choice to use certain uh, devices, certain software, certain apps. So my, my guess is that all of those um, apps and interactivity tools will have to become much more rich. Yeah, and I, I think another thing maybe uh, is apparent is that it's, it's uh, taking away borders, time, and maybe location. This idea that you could probably teach anyone from anywhere. Uh, I remember I traveled to India for Sayark like years ago, and that was quite an endeavor to to show up and teach. Where now 
this is becoming a, a kind of um, this, the, the kind of status quo of the situation, which is you can teach anyone from anywhere and it could be synchronous or asynchronous, um, which I think is exciting, right? I mean, this idea of being able to teach anyone from anywhere, maybe even uh, the potential of having a kind of international architecture uh, academic platform. I, I agree with you. I am definitely exploring certain ideas on the topic. <laughs> I'm not ready to talk yet about this, but, but I definitely think that um, SIARC um, has expanded uh, its outreach. I, I used to say SIARC is everywhere now. Uh, it, it is true that we're much more far-reaching because of this. And I think there's a lot of possibilities in terms of, mm, you know, what kind of level of access you give to education. So um, I see this as an opportunity and I think it will change at least partially the way in which we teach for sure. Those are things that are happening, I guess, in the, the teaching realm. And then you also have a practice in all of this um, where I've noticed online you're building things. Uh, is, that, is that still happening or is that because of COVID has things slowed down in the, in the kind of building industry for you? Um, I think it definitely slowed down, um, but it's still going. So the projects are just taking uh, sometimes much more time than before for some reason. Uh, some um, stopped. Uh, I had a lot of collaborations with uh, hospitals, and so those definitely are things that will be resumed after COVID, which is unforeseeable at this point, um, because most of the energy of hospitals are clearly um, towards um, you know, curing COVID patients. Um, but there are also other things that are on the table. We're now working on um, a new project for uh, Dominion Energy, which was a, a fun project. We're doing um, the, a building for um, a substation, uh, which uh, basically, if you don't know, uh, changes the voltage of electricity from high voltage to the voltage you need in your house. And so I've never done anything like this before. Um, and it's a very interesting collaborations, clearly. It's one of those mute boxes um, that give out opportunity in terms of artwork and architecture uh, of expression. They become a canvas for art. Um, and so this is a project that we're doing uh, right now uh, in Virginia. And so, um, and also we're doing another project in uh, North Carolina. So there, there are a few things um, that we're working on right now that are new on the table um, and they're quite fast in construction. So it, it's a mix of things. <laughs> um, yeah, some projects are in Los Angeles for um, uh, combos uh, that uh, we're doing and some are in uh, other uh, parts of the United States. Most of the work I have right now is in the United States though either local or uh, in other states. And I think going back to this conversation around scale and like maybe moving up in scale, uh, it seems appropriate that, I mean, you have such a tremendous body of work that building more things in the future is maybe something you're interested in doing. At some point was one of my aim to go up in scale and, um, and I think it is still, um, but I have to say when, for instance, Judith Richter came to me and said, do you want to do something small? It was fun again to do something small. So I have to say that this uh, multiscalar approach uh, keeps also my um, interest in things. Um, so you don't become complacent to the only thing you can do. I mean, you do uh, a 
condo uh, apartment building and then suddenly you do eight and they become quite similar to each other. <laughs> um, and, and then you have a project that is uh, jury and you start thinking about forms in a different, completely different way again. So I, I think in general, um, the practice has um, gone uh, its own path. Not always is possible to direct that path, I have to say. I can aim, but then also you need a client and an opportunity to make that happen. And so those uh, you know, are things that usually depend partially on you and partially on someone else wanting you. So it's, it's, it's a two-way street. Was that, was that something on your mind when you were at UCLA? Like, were you guys talking a lot about buildings or was it more about the, the tools and techniques? I think Los Angeles has a way to link the two. I mean, I think, I think it's very specific to, to California, the idea that technology is part of what California has brought to the world, which is tech, um, in the way we understand it today, both software and apps and hardware. Um, but on the other hand, there is an understanding in Los Angeles of needing uh, buildings. I mean, this has been a city that has been growing for all the time I've been here has been in big growth in terms of um, housing and even landmarks. And it's a, it's a palpable feeling that you have in Los Angeles. So my sense is that it's not really show SIAC or UCLA or any other schools or where the education is, it's more um, that is in the air here in California and in Los Angeles specifically. I, I would say more than, more than in other states in, in, in um, in the country. I mean, it's something also that one can completely feel in China when you, I've been going to China um, since 2006, was my first trip to China, and maybe I go two or three times a year besides this pandemic. And you can see how the uh, land, the landscape, architectural landscape in China has changed. And, um, and you can see the excitement of the building construction being built under your eyes. Every time I land in Beijing or in Shanghai, and you take a cab and you go towards the city, uh, you see how much the city has grown, changed, and also the ambition of architecture. I think uh, in a different way, you can feel also certain architectural ambition in Los Angeles. And I think those economical shifts do impact what you think about as an architect. I don't think you cannot think about that because it's part of what you see every time it's a background to your imagination is architecture. So if architecture is always the same, um, you know, like maybe Italy is, is, is quite fixed in what has been built, that is not really the sensation you had from the idea of what architect should be. Uh, but if you're in Los Angeles, you feel that, that you should be building. Yeah, and China's a, a really fascinating uh, place for architecture, just the amount of infrastructure I guess, in the, in the kind of um, organization collaboration to produce. Like I noticed, what, I was in China too, uh, I guess a year and a half ago, and the, the spaces between cities are starting to be filled up with these kind of high rises, and they're just popping up, right, all over the place. And it seems, it seems like if you have a, a kind of government behind the productions of buildings, it really helps uh, long-term, where maybe in the United States it might be a little bit different than that. And maybe that's, maybe that's a... A, a kind of strain on on the practice of architecture here in the in the states. I think quite simply in a different um, in a different stage of growth. <laughs> um, probably being in Chicago many years ago would have felt like being um, in Beijing. So it's it's 
I think we're simply in a different stage of, of the economy, um, of, of growth of a country. And I think the built environment has been built in many cases. Um, and, but, but again, I still think that there is a big difference between Europe and the United States, that you can still feel the vitality of architecture in the United States. And you can definitely think that there is a difference between the United States and China, and you can see the vitality in China in relationship to the United States. So it, it is um, something that architects have to come to, um, to terms, that we are used and hired and more successful at what we do in places where the economy requires and has a need for construction. As, as a kind of closing conclusion, I was hoping you could give us a little insight on, on what's happening in the future for you um, uh, in, in your office, uh, if, if there's anything we should be aware of in the next couple months. I think um, coming up, this um, project I'm doing in Virginia for um, Dominion Energy. So we're doing um, a new substation, which will be probably under construction um, this time in 2022. So this year is a year of uh, design and uh, all the documentation. And then in 2022, first quarter, we should be under construction. Um, and uh, we're doing, we're finishing up a competition for a project in North Carolina with two finalists. So hopefully this will be um, decided uh, in, you know, not even one week from now. So I will let you know if we got the project. And um, also we won a competition for Virginia Tech for the uh, artwork of Virginia Tech, which is um, going to celebrate its anniversary. And it's a project I'm proud of because it's a difficult site and um, it's a difficult theme. Um, it's to celebrate and understand the history of Virginia Tech. Um, and it's on a site that has been um, an Native American site and then became a plantation, so a place where labor was stolen uh, for many years. And so it's, it's a difficult reconciliation of what Virginia Tech does now, which you know, is, is a living institution in education with a past that um, is uh, to be understood. And it was an open competition of ideas and we actually won the competition, which was um, a very, uh, is an honor, humbling honor for us to win this. And I have to say, I never do competition. You know me, Ryan. We've been uh, knowing each other for a long time. I never do competition. This was one of the few that I've done in my 20 years of practice. I, I think you can really count them in one hand, how many competitions I've done, even maybe less than that. But I thought it was a worthy cause uh, to think about um, what it means today to deal with the difficult past. It seemed like I had to do the homework. Um, I, I mainly did it because I wanted to learn. Um, and so I'm quite happy that, um, and also surprised that we were chosen. I'm, I am humbled and, and honored to be representing so many voices. And so, yes, this is a competition that brought something quite positive um, and uplifting, I think, in my practice. I feel like then there's meaning in what I do and the meaning has been seen by other individuals. So it's, again, my, my practice is always in between um, public artwork and architecture, has um, the ambition to, um, to do something maybe small but meaningful. Um, it, it's something I truly always wanted to um, to do is, is to leave uh, a thought behind me that would um, collect the aspiration and desires and hopes of many. And so these are uh, very important landmarks, I think, for, for my own career. 
And so you said before it was a, a plantation and they're, they're going to remodel it into what type of program? Um, it will still remain a plantation and it will actually be a museum of all of this um, past that uh, yeah. this site has been. And so I'm doing the artwork to, um, to make uh, the audience aware of this past and help them reconcile with it. The murder of George Floyd this past summer, I think, really changed uh, the world. But I think it's also influencing um, the way architects are looking at, it, at their history. I think, uh, I think the brief was after uh, an artwork that would negotiate between a difficult past and the present. Yes, I think that was a brief. Um, and it was an international brief um, given to any artist everywhere in the world. Um, my sense is that this was in the workings before um, the happenings of the summer, but definitely I think as architects, uh, any individual actually, we have been, uh, we, we stopped the summer, we stopped and, and started thinking, what do we do to make this better? Or what are we doing that is not solving this? Or what are we, what do we do as architects to participate? Um, I think that is a question that everybody had in their mind, no matter what your profession is. I think um, one wants to do the right thing, not maybe knowing what the right thing is. And um, we all stop and think, what is it I should be participating on? And so this competition actually was a way for me to think about what I do in my practice towards it. And, and anyway, so it's, it's, and it was a, a learning experience, frankly, for me to say, I, I'm going to have to learn more. To, um, to hear more um, so that I can be also a better educator in general. I think this summer has been transformative for the school as well. Um, students as well asked, uh, what do we do as architects and how does our education inform us to do architecture and what kind of architecture can we do? And I think um, it, was in, it is an important process that the school is going through. SIARC, I think, has done many steps towards learning. And, and, and helping platforms to learn all of those um, things that we haven't probably learned before and we should have, and therefore with the time and the scope now to do that. I, I, I'm really kind of cynical about competitions for the most part, because I think sometimes they're, they're fixed or they're a waste of labor. I remember the, what is it, the Helsinki competition, the Helsinki competition that happened years ago where there were you know, 2,000 plus entries. Um, and so I, I know you were saying you don't really do competitions, but it sounds, it sounds like this was a, a good one to, to take on. I, I, again, I, I don't do competition exactly for the reasons that I think I should use my time towards, um, towards things that actually have a potential to be a growth for, for, for me and for the office. I, frankly, this was, um, was an opportunity to grow for me because I thought I needed to learn. So it, it's not, um, it was not meant to be one in, in a way, I have to say. It was more meant to, uh, let's think about what, what I could contribute into this. So it's, um, it was a nice surprise, actually. You're starting that now, I assume. And then is there a deadline? Well, for I, am that? Now. I am now from now for the, uh, yes. So there, there's some time still before we see this one because it's for uh, a specific time, uh, w- which is an anniversary of the, of the campus. And hopefully, whenever this pandemic ends, you can start doing site visits, right? <laughs> yes, I have not been traveling for 10 months, 11 months, like everybody else, I think, here. So everything online. Yeah, the way it is. Um, well, I just want to thank you so much for your time, 
um, and for your, your body of work and just everything you do. Uh, I was a student of yours years ago and I've, I've learned so much from you and I just want to thank you. Um, but I really do appreciate uh, your time coming and, and talking with us today. Thank you, Ryan, for inviting me. And I just want to say that it was a pleasure to have you as a student and as a colleague. Uh, and, you know, I think students teach to faculty as much as faculty teach to students. So we learn from each other. Um, I always, that's something I always say to my students that I teach because I really want to learn. <laughs> and students are a great source of vitality, uh, intelligence, uh, creativity, and energy. So it's always a pleasure to see you guys um, grow into your professional life and to see how successful you all become afterwards. So please do keep in touch. Of course. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for today's Wedge Gallery podcast. The Wedge Gallery is located on the campus of Woodbury University School of Architecture in Los Angeles, California. You can find out more about the Wedge Gallery at wedgegallery.woodbury.edu.